Well, hey there. We did not have a chance to get this morning to get together this morning because of the snow. But we do want to continue our walk through the book of Genesis. Hopefully you can look at this and maybe get together with your family or friends and consider how it applies to your life. But we do hope this will give you something to carry you through the week. When I was a sophomore in high school, I got a boil. All of a sudden, I got a boil on my face. And it's, it's worst, it was swelling my eye shut. And I remember looking in the mirror, it was a Sunday, and the thing is just dominating my face. I thought, will it always be like this? Will it always be marred? As a sophomore, I'm concerned about my appearance. And what's worse is, to the touch, oh man, I'd go through the roof if you touched it. I wondered, what, where's the hope, and, and how will this get solved if it ever does? Well, I'll get to that when we close our sermon. But I share that by way of illustration, because sometimes our world can feel like that. Violence mars our world, and adds painful to the touch. Well, what's our hope in the midst of evil? So if you've got a Bible, if you open that to Genesis chapter 6, we're going to go through Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, wrestling with this question, what's our hope in the midst of evil? Now, as we've gone through this, we've looked at God the Creator. He created Adam and Eve to be in a perfect relationship, but Adam and Eve pushed back. They went their own way. They said, no thanks, I'll be my own God. And that had ramifications for everybody, including me and you. But more closely related, for for their kin, they had two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel. And we go through the generations, and, and violence is spinning out of control. And now we've come to Noah, the time of Noah. And we've seen that the world's problems are only growing greater as the generations increase with this decision to rebel against God. So here's how Genesis 6 begins. It says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, and that's probably a description for angels, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And that would suggest that these were not monogamous relationships. These, these men were just indulging their passions. Uh, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with men forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, or giants, were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, they were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So we see that things begin to spin out of control further. At this point, we get the Lord's perspective in verse 5. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Isn't that a sad commentary? Every thought of the heart is continuously evil. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, verse 7, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
He's done. He's moving on. However, there's a transition, verse 8. But, but, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So not everyone has rebelled against God. One man, and we'll find out his family, has chosen to follow God. And God has a plan for that. God's going to move forward with that. Verse 9, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. There's a commentary, commentary for you. Noah walked with God. Remember Adam and Eve and the like, they pushed back. God, I'll do my own thing. You go your way, you go my You pick out the trees. I, 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 the one you pick, I, I'm going to choose to eat from it. Noah's of a different character. He's going to walk with God, allow God to lead him. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. So we move now from Noah back to what's going on in the earth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. I want to stop there because we see that playing out in our culture, in our society. Even here at North Point, we feel that. Two months ago, we commissioned Dave and Stacy Winter to go full-time to Haiti. Perhaps you've seen it, perhaps you haven't, but they're back in the States right now. You want to know why? You want to know why? The corruption of the Haitian government. I don't follow it fully, but they got oil at a discount, and there was $2 billion that was supposed to be invested in infrastructure and health care, and, and the money's gone, and nothing's changed, and now the people want to know, to the president and his family, where's the $2 billion? And it's turned violent. You know, and, and Haiti isn't the only place this is happening. I can go around the world. So this is not isolated. This is, this is the world we're living in. We push back from God. People become their own gods. And, and corruption is followed by violence. Verse 12. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all, all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, verse 13, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. So God said, enough. I've had enough. My judgment has come. So you might say, Andy, what about now? <laughs> we live in a pretty violent world. Is God going to do like he did in the days of Noah? He's going to bring judgment? And my answer is, I don't know. I don't know the mind of God. Here's what I know. God's character is perfect. And he is holy, and he is righteous, and he will judge sin. And at some point, God says, enough. My righteousness demands judgment. But he's also gracious and kind and long-suffering, and he waits that people would turn to him. So where's the balance? It's perfectly in God. How does that play out for today? I'm not sure. But as a people, we don't want to test that line. I think there's one of the lessons to know is we don't want to get too close. Because at some point, God will say, my righteousness, my judgment demands I act. So we'll find out that's, that's not a comfortable 
So, God says he's going to bring his judgment. But he says to uh, Noah in verse 14, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Verses 15 and 16 are more instructions about how to build the ark. Verse 17 is a reminder of what God is doing. He says, verse 17, Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on earth shall perish. Except for Noah. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you're not going to be alone. Verse 19 through 21, and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every kind in the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind and the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing on the ground after its kind, two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather to yourself for it shall be for food for you and for them. Catch this, verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. How did Noah do life? According to all that the Lord had commanded him. He's living in a world that, that pays no attention to God. Noah's of a different character. He does all that the Lord commands him. And again, chapter 7, verse 1, God speaks of Noah's righteousness. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Verses 2 and 3, he tells them to take birds. Um, these birds will be in part for sacrifice, and in part they will be key in, in determining when the water is receded. In verse, day, uh, verse 4, he gives them a seven-day warning. they got seven days. It's going to be time to get in. Verse 5 then, Noah did all, did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. How many times have we seen that? Noah doing what the Lord commands him. Verses 6 through 15, you can read it. All the animals come in. Verse 15, everybody's in. And there's this comment in verse 16. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as the Lord had commanded them. And catch this. The Lord closed it, the door behind them. A personal touch. God rescuing his people, closing the door. And so it starts, the flood. You can read about that in verses 17 to 20. I want to pick it up, verses 21 through 23. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left, together with those who were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. 150 days. The earth is covered. In water. Chapter 8 says, But God remembered. 
What, what does that mean? I'm not like God for God. But, but it's a metaphor. It's a phrase. Speaking of God's faithful love and timely intervention. And as we track the Old Testament through, there will be times when, when Israel's in crisis and it will say, God remembered. It's not like he forgot. But it speaks of God's faithful intervention at a time of need. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to tell you something. God remembers. That speaks of his faithful love to you. His timely intervention. So, Andy, when's he going to intervene? I, that, I don't know. But you can trust the character, the track record of God with his people. He intervenes in a timely manner with faithful love. He never forgets. Verses 2 and 3, the rain finally stops. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained. Who's restraining it? God's restraining it. We get weather reports, and we got explanation about weather, and that's all good. I'm with that. I'm glad we had a heads up on this snowstorm. But in the end, God is the one who controls everything. And the water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water decreased. So they got to figure out, has it decreased enough for us to come off? And you can read about that in verses 4 through 12. And uh, Noah used the birds, and they fly back and forth. And and through them, what they come back with, he gets the key. It's, It's time to leave the ark. So we pick that up in verse 15. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, go out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may be breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his wives with him. And every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. The rain's come and gone in the violent world been put down, and, 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 and the remnant has come back, and they'll start again. It says this, then Noah built an altar, I'm in verse 20, to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Then the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So we had a corrupt world. We had a violent world. And God put up with it for a time, but, but then he said, no more. And he stepped in. And what did he do? Well, he judged the evil and rescued the righteous. And so that's the way I answered our question until about Wednesday. And then I began to think of this sermon in the context of the whole of Scripture. And I thought about the many righteous people who were not rescued, who suffered, 
And I go through a whole litany in the Old Testament, but let me go to the the New Testament, Acts chapter 7. Stephen, full of God's grace and power, is, is speaking truth to the Sanhedrin, and he gets stoned. Stephen didn't get rescued. Acts 12, Herod, the Roman prefect, wants to win favor with the Jewish people, so he arrests two Christians, James and Peter. And he runs James through with the sword, and he sees the people like it so much, he's planning to do it with Peter, but it's Passover, he's going to wait a few days, and what happens to the Passover is, is God opens the jail cell, and Peter goes out. That's another 30 years before he's murdered. And I can go on in the Old Testament talking about that, and, and I can look at today. Many righteous people, this isn't just a New Testament phenomenon, many Christians worldwide are, are being persecuted. It's evil. So what would I say in context? That in the midst of evil, God judges evil and works through the righteous. He judges evil and he works through the righteous. And the way he's working through Noah is he's going to work through Noah to repopulate the world, to get a restart. So remember remember the, the... the boil, and I'm looking, and how long, when, when, how, what? It's painful. That's our world. Corrupt and violent. At some point, God steps in, and he says, enough. And he judges the evil, and is righteous. He works through them. One way or another, he works through them. So he said, Andy, fair enough. Maybe you buy it. What about evil people who don't seem to get judged? I mean, let me go go back to Haiti. Maybe this president gets removed, but he goes to another country with $2 billion stocked away someplace. What then? We can go all over the world of people who, evil, who, who seem to get away with it. Well, one day, God promises to come back, and he will judge every human being. Here's what Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15 says. It's John writing under the influence of the Lord. He said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence on earth heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, the dead were judged for the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. They will be judged according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them. How? According to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Every person will be judged for his deeds. And so no evil will go unnoticed. By the Lord. Why does he choose to wait now and then? I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know the mind of God. But God is just and he will step in. That's true of every one of us. But like in the days of Noah, God gives a vehicle of rescue. It was the ark in Noah's day. In our day, that vehicle's name is Jesus Christ. 
Here's what John 3, 17 to 18 said about Jesus. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe in him has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We live in a corrupt world. We live in a violent world. And you know what? We're all responsible. All of us have pushed back. All of us have contributed by the violence, by the things we say, the way we act, the way we drive. We're all guilty. But Jesus provides it now. He said, if you'll believe in me, I will forgive your sin. I'll forgive that rebellion and I'll restore your heart that you might become my child and be forgiven for your sin. If you've never trusted Christ, would, would you, in a sense, would you step into the ark? Would you believe him? That you might be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. That you might be part of the work on God, trying to, trying to bring his kingdom rather than seeing it spin out of control, violent and corrupt. See, I could go on in the book of Revelation, but Jesus comes one day in Revelation 21 to come back. He's got a promise. I'm in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. That's our hope. So there's violence and corruption. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Our world will be renewed and Jesus will set up his kingdom and violence and corruption will be done away with. That's our hope. That's our future. But we're living in the in-between. And as a church, we talk about being christ in the community. Why? Right here. Right here. It's a violent and corrupt world, and we believe we have the hope, both now and for the future. So when we're talking about being Christ in the community, it's just not the pastors, it's just not the elders. No, no, no. It's everyone. Because there's people in your sphere of influence I can't reach. Would you embrace our call? Being Christ in the community, begin a conversation. Ask questions about people. Get, get to know them. They might ask questions about you, hear your story. Invite them to church. Why? Because we're serious about the business of being Christ in the community. God is coming back to redeem this violent, corrupt world. We want to take as many people as we can with us as we join him, being Christ in our community. Well, let me go back that boil. It's on a Sunday, so a Monday, my mom gets me to the doctor, and he immediately puts on a pair of gloves, and he pops off a scab, and he lays me down. And he puts a shot in the side of my right face, on the right side of my face, to numb that side. And he brings two nurses in with him, one, one to work with him, and one who will gently hold my hands. 
Because for the next 30 to 45 minutes, he will push and pull and pry and cut to lance that bullet. And I wanted to be a good patient, but there was part of me that, oh, it's just a natural reaction. So he lances that boil. And I missed a command. He said, make sure and not, don't let this thing scab. Well, I did that, and it scabbed. And so the next day I woke up, and this is when my eye is swelling shut. And back we go to the doctor's office. He gives me a shot of penicillin, and he pulls the scab off. And he said, you've got to keep this moist. It needs to drain. And it was 9 a.m., and it drained till 6 p.m. that afternoon. It was a mess. I don't, I don't want to be too graphic, too gross, but it was a mess. And in fact, I couldn't go back to school until the next Monday because Wednesday and Thursday and Friday morning, it, it still needed to drain, not as much as before, but there was stuff that had to get out. What's my point? Our world's a mess. And it's painful, painful to touch, and somebody's got to get in there and, and, and deal with the infection and deal with the overflow. And you know who did that? Jesus did. So you don't have to and I don't have to. On the cross, he took all that on him. He is our hope in this very violent and corrupt world. What's our hope? That God will judge the evil and will work through the righteous. Let's pray.